folks. Uh, tomorrow marks uh, six months here at Community Alliance. We're so thankful to be here. Did you know the summers are cooler up here than in Florida? <laughs> we're really thankful for that. And uh, so we're glad to be here. Really uh, made some uh, good friends up here. Uh, extraordinarily wonderful people here at Community Alliance. Uh, so uh, we're thankful to be here. Uh, I want to tell you a story. Uh, <clears throat> I know this is coming no surprise to you that I played football in high school. I, and you all think, oh, yeah, man, I can tell. All right, it was a really, really small school. And our football team was really, really bad. I mean, we were so bad. He would even say, how bad were you? We were so bad that everybody wanted to play us for homecoming. See, that's how I feel. Everybody's laughing. <laughs> you see that guy? They missed that. We always had someone who did some spectacular blunder because their head was not in the game. So if it was one guy, this guy named Eric, Eric would, um, he couldn't get his left and right straight. And so we'd do a play and the running back would be out there. And then instead of double teaming and opening a wide hole, one of the guards would pull. And then there it was, and the lineman would be like, hello, and wham, head-on collision with the running back, and probably lost the ball, etc. Another guy uh, wanted to enhance his performance by taking caffeine pills. And so this guy, Andy, would have two offsides every game until we figured out, dude, don't take those anymore. And so that was kind of the, the shame of my, my high school football career, except there was one day when there was just this anomaly that was happening. It was a beautiful thing. Now, this is like, I, I know you think I look like I'm 18, but 30 years ago, I can remember this like it was yesterday. We were on the 20-yard line. It was fourth down, and they had to punt, all right, because there was just no way. Our defense was pretty strong. And so I played nose guard, not because I'm huge, because I was just pretty fast. And so I got by the guy, came up, and I'm yelling, raw, like this to try and distract the kicker. He kicks the ball. It hits my face mask, goes over. Chris Coogan catches the ball, runs it across the goal line, and they scored. And then all of a sudden, we, we were actually winning. And there was eight minutes left in the game. So knowing this team, we'd probably be like, yeah, we got this, man. Uh, that's not what they did, thankfully. Well, I'll, I'll finish that story in a little bit. But all of the drills and all of the conditioning and all of the pep talks which prepared us to do two things only, two major important things, playing our particular position well, knowing what our position was and playing it well, and secondly, playing as part of a team just in case you're not sure what a winning team looks like because you're hearing about my high school team, let me, let me show you a few. See if you can identify the same time period. Who's that? Mike Ditka being held by the fridge, 307 pounds as a running back. Imagine that. 1985, world champions. Next one, how about them? A few years later, who's that? The Bulls. Somebody said doubles. Yeah, there's Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. Even though Michael Jordan was an amazing player, uh, he was not the whole team. He still needed the team. And another one here? I don't know who these are. So who's that? The Steelers. Moment of silence, please. Aww. When I came here, they said, are you a Steelers fan? And I hadn't been hired yet. And I go, of course. 
When you come here and you notice that people have black and gold Pandora bracelets, you go, I think, are you going to be a Steeler fan? Yes, absolutely. I'm no fool. So I don't want to be associated with winners. And look what happens when a team plays together. Isn't that pretty? Wouldn't it be nice if there was one more on the bottom? That's what happens when a team learns their parts and they play together as a unified team. Today's the message is... Uh, is playing on the winning team. Playing on the winning team. And God invites us. He commands us. He says, be on the team and play well. The Apostle Paul was passionate about uh, functioning as one unified body. All through the New Testament you see this. You see metaphors of the church as being the body of Christ. Earlier in Ephesians, uh, you see us described as one building. We're all like stones holding the walls up, built on top of Christ. Today we're going to look at what the body looks like. But when the body is all working together as an interdependent unit, we are the winning team. That's exciting. Let's look at the first verse here. This is Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to turn your Bibles there, you can. Or if you want to look up on the screen, you can follow along. Paul is writing from prison. He's saying, look, I've paid the price for this. Not asking you something to do that I haven't been willing to do. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I, help me, urge you. Try it again. I urge you. Live a life worthy of your calling. Live a life worthy of your calling. I mean, if you just heard that song we sang before, He Loves Us, and and how Jesus paid it all, man, if you have responded to that, you are on the team. And what God is asking us to do is to play our part well and to be the unified team. He's saying, you're part of the most significant organization, operation, team in the universe. And you need to play your part well. So and that's the first thing, if you want to write in, for those visual learners among us, uh, we need to be playing with purpose. Playing with purpose. I want to show you a little uh, video clip that's two minutes and three seconds that show, describes the whole mission of the church. Two minutes and three seconds. Check it out. I want to tell you the big story. I want to describe the gospel to you. The big story is God's story and what he's doing on the planet. You'll see that the big story that we're going to walk through has four parts. Creation, fall, redemption, and mission. The Christian worldview says that in the beginning, when the world was started, God designed the world for good. God created this world we live in and he made it good. And God made us, each of us, for himself. You were made for God. But if that's true, we've got to look around and say, what went wrong? How do we explain all of the evil and suffering around us? We were designed for good, but secondly, we were damaged by evil. Each one of us, in our own way, has experienced fractured relationships with people. Each one of us has experienced this broken relationship with God. Each one of us, in our own different ways, have abused the planet. We turned everything in. We made it all about us. We're damaged by evil. But the good news is that God loves us and loves the world too much to leave us that way. And He sent Jesus into this broken world to restore us. And so Jesus restores all things for better. When Jesus died on the cross, it showed that that damage, that death, that disease and evil would not have the last word. 
that Jesus overcame it and offers us a life that also can overcome evil. When you join the Jesus Revolution, when you become a follower of Jesus, you become one of God's agents, an agent of change in a broken world. God transforms you and then sends you to help transform a broken world. This big story moves us from decisions to transformation. It moves us from individualism to community. The big story moves us from the afterlife to the mission life. The goal of the Christian faith is to transform you here, make you part of a community that is sent out together to heal a broken world and bring God's kingdom now. That's the big story. Isn't that good stuff? Yeah. What Paul is saying is he's saying we need to be transformed. We ourselves are first transformed. And then we bring our transformation and his message and his good news and his spirit to people who are broken and hurting. That's our mission. That's exciting. And, and sometimes it just seems so, so simple that it, is that really true? It, it is absolutely transformative around the world. That's why he says, live a life worthy of your calling. God is saying, I created you to be on a team. So huddle up and go for it. Don't waste your life. So the first one is we're playing, on pur- playing for purpose or with purpose. The second thing you want to write down in your, in your notes is that we are, this is so obvious, but it's overlooked, one team. We are one team. If you look at this passage, it's Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, you're going to see one word repeated seven times. One. This is the easiest writing. Just go with your pen like that. Seven times. We are one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. You got it? Sometimes, you know, when Bill, when Scripture repeats itself, you're supposed to pay attention, right? Just checking with my brother here. Yeah. When it says one seven times, God's trying to say, don't be like the Harvey football team. Be like the football team or the the mission that God has put together, putting no confidence in the flesh, but in our unique spiritual gifting and saying, I'm going to play my part and we're going to win the world for Christ. People are going to look at CAC Butler and say, I don't know what's going on in that church, but I got to be a part of it. There's life there. And that's what's happening here. Isn't that exciting? A bunch of us uh, went down to see Henry Cloud. Uh, Pastor Bob went, was, did some sort of degree program. I can't remember what it's called exactly. But his alma mater invited psychologist Henry Cloud to come and speak. And he is just a really cool guy. He has a, a teaching that talks about the wise, the foolish, and the evil. Three categories of people that you will run into in your work, in your school, and even, unfortunately, sometimes in the church. Wives, they're the ones that are growing and going. The, the foolish are the ones that aren't. They're just kind of coasting around and goofing around and causing uh, trouble, right? Not growing up. But then there's this other category that I would sort of prefer didn't exist. I'd like to think that there's very few of them, but it's the evil. And the evil is described as following. When you think of someone who's evil, help me out. What, what comes to mind? Loud and clear. Darkness, pain, okay? Maybe someone who's unfaithful. Maybe someone who misallocates finances. Uh, may, you know, all these things like that. Maybe someone who's very violent. Last service, somebody said ISIS. 
Yeah. The Bible describes the evil, evil as divisive. Isn't that interesting? You, you mean the one that just has little, little cliques and groups like that? Really? Is that what evil is? Yeah. An evil person in, in those groups, they will divide the body of Christ. If you're still having a hard time picturing this, beside my pathetic football team, picture someone being drawn and quartered. I, I didn't have a visual of this one. Aren't you thankful? That's when they put a rope around each limb and then they go, ha, and the horses take off and you disintegrate, literally disintegrate. That's dividing the body up. When one of your organs is not working well, your body is in trouble, right? And so that's why he says you must be one. So the first thing we're looking at is God urges us, please know what your purpose is. Grapple with that. I mean, you're on a better team than the Steelers. I know that's almost blasphemous, but it's true. That's what we're on. And for thousands of years, we'll look back and say, I got to be on that team. Next, we see that we're one team. And, find, and now third, we are one team with, and you can write in, many positions. Many different positions. So who is the team? I, I love what Joe said last week. Didn't he do a good job? Uh, Joe Flores. He said, God has designed you with a plan and purpose, a plan and purpose in mind for you. He's designed you specifically with a plan and purpose. And so here's how he describes that. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And it says here, He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. It's interesting, there's a, a nuance that's going on in the original here. It, it goes back and forth. It says, umen ude, umen ude. So what he's saying is, God is sitting there just distributing the gifts as he sees fit. And he says, ah, quality assurance God. That's it, right there. He says, oh, there's an apostle, and oh, we need a teacher over here. Oh, there's one. And we get a prophet over here. That's what he did. He distributed these gifts out so each person has a part to play on the team. You ready for this? This is really cool. Every single one of us is a 10, excuse me, every single one of us is a 10 somewhere. So turn to your neighbor and say, you're a 10. Now turn to them and say, you're a 10 somewhere. Somewhere, you're a 10. Nobody is the one who brought the tuna sandwich to the feast. Every single one of us has a huge, wonderful part. Ephesians describes this passage as the five-fold ministry gifts, right? So let's look in a little closer. And what I want you to do, if you could try to figure out and maybe start to ask, which one of these is me? Because we want to identify what our position is, okay? So the first one is the apostle, all right? Now for clarity, so I'm not getting emails, I'm not saying you have the same gifting as the original 12 apostles and when they walk by, their shadows healed people. God can do that, and I hope he does, but what I'm talking about here is, is the position of apostle in a church, and that's the entrepreneur. That's the one who starts things. They're the ones who usually says, you know, we need a new work over here. We got to get this going. How about we start this? Or, you know, we've done all these ministries here, but what about this new one over here? How about that? That's an apostle. They are innovators. They are energized by starting new things. So maybe you sit there and say, hmm, that could be me or that could be you. 
Then there's prophets. Prophets are the bristly questioners. They're not always bristly, but sometimes they are. Prophets are the ones that really know God's will. They spend a lot of time discerning exactly what it is, and they, and they bring correction, and they challenge dominant assumptions in the church. So sometimes, as Joni Erickson Tata says, we are, wor- we are pickled in our culture, right? So a prophet's going to say, you know, we've done this a long time like this, and, and it doesn't square up with the Bible. So I think we need to look at this carefully, because I don't know if we're everything we're created to be. That's a prophet. And they don't, they're not always that prickly, but they're always going to be pretty direct, and they're going to keep the train on the tracks from derailing, okay? So maybe you're one of those people who's a prophet. And I didn't say you have the gift of criticism. That's, that's not really a spiritual gift, all right? Remember, it's love, joy, peace, right? And there's the evangelists. <clears throat> evangelists are the communicators. They're the infectious communicators of the message of Jesus Christ, They're the ones that are usually looking outside of the church and saying, how do we bring these people in? How do we bring these people in? How do we bring these people in? That's an evangelist. They tend to be focused on the outsiders and the wider mission of the church. And then, this is where we have to warm-hearted folk, the shepherds. Everybody go, ah. The shepherds, the pastor shepherds, the humanizers, the people oriented towards motivating and promoting health in a relational environment. They're the ones, the mama and the papas of the church, that make sure that people are nurtured, that make sure that people are growing and going in the right direction in a very shepherding type of way. They're, they're caring for the flock. And then there's the teachers. Teachers are the philosophers in the church. They're the ones that can gather, gather a great deal of data and all sorts of sources, and then they pull it all together in a succinct thing, and they go, here it is, a meal for you. And you go, wow, that's amazing. You really simplified it. That's, that's what teachers are like. And maybe you sit in there and go, well, maybe that's me. They're able to understand and explain. They help others remain biblically grounded. So why does God want us to use these different functions? Um, how many soccer fans in the, in the house tonight, or this morning? Soccer fans? All right. So what happened in the World Cup, Women's World Cup? Won. Woohoo! right? I didn't realize it. That's the, four, the third victory, 91, 99, 2015. You guys rock in the sound booth. They checked. They found out for me. Uh, but, you know, you look at a soccer team, and who's more important, the sweeper or the goalie? Uh, one is defensive, one is offensive. If you don't let any goals in, it doesn't matter if you're not scoring. And if you're scoring a ton, it doesn't matter if you're not keeping goals out of there, right? So you need, on the one hand, you need the goalie to keep the, goals from, the balls from going in the goal. On the other hand, you need the forwards to put the ball in the goal. And then in the middle, you have midfielders that are ferrying it back and forth across the field, and defenders with the legs like this big that can kick the ball all the way out across the field. They all play very different parts, but each and every part is essential. Do you think they need a coach? What do you think? I think so. How about a ref? Yeah, they need a ref. Not everybody likes the refs, but they need the refs. Very important part of the team. And this is described in verses 12 and 13. Uh, Check this out. The goal is to equip his people for works 
of service to play the game so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach, now I want you to help me with this, till we all reach what? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the of Christ, the fullness of Christ. So Christ is the head of the body. But when we serve our part on the team as a, as a beautiful unified team, people in the world see Christ. They go, wow, look how those people are living their lives. They really like each other. They're different. But man, and they, they have a good message. And there's hope. And we're seeing life change. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8 also give, actually seven gifts there, but just to fill our list out a little bit, let me highlight some of them. Uh, one of them is, the list includes those who serve. That's where we get the word deaconess, or deacon, diaconi, right? And so those are people, uh, and by the way, there's a disproportionate amount of people in the church who have a service gift. So that's why I walked in the other day, and there's Steve spackling the gym. We're going to make it look beautiful. And there's the Fergusons and, and, um, and the mother sitting there painting the cafe. Did you even notice? They're just like, well, we just like to help out. That's awesome. Is that, is that most important gift? I don't know. If the building looked like a total dive, it would be bad, right? You know? But these people say, yeah, I just, I just want to serve somehow. I just like to put things up and like to do things. And, they, and there's a satisfaction that comes from that. That's a spiritual gift. That's a supernatural thing. Then there's the encouragers, the exhorters. You're around people that just come next to you and they say, you can do it. I know you can do it. You can, you can do this. I just think you got it in you. God is calling you to do this. And you sit there and go, uh, yeah, I think I can. And you boldly take a step of faith because you ran into one of those encouragers. How important is that on the team? Then there's the givers. That's, a, that's an interesting one. I've had at least two people come to mind. Uh, they're people that usually, if, they, if you have the gift of giving, you usually have the gift of getting. Okay? They're usually able to make lots of money. We had a guy in our church who uh, always lived beneath his means and was always trying to figure out, well, well, I can make this money. That's the only thing I can do well. That's what he really thought. And so he came to me. Uh, and this guy was like the chairman of Robbie Zacharias' ministry. I was, I was a little bit intimidated by him. because, you know, Pastor, I've been praying about this, and my stock options have come due. I'm going to take a hit, but every time I pray about it, I think about what would happen if I sent a million dollars to the nursing school and started a nursing school at Nyack, so that we're sending nurses and medical professionals to the ends of the earth. Wow. I'm going to take a $200,000 hit. I'm just like, it's above me. I, I can't even relate to that. But he did it. And there are people being trained medically from Nyack College and being sent out. That's a giving gift. Isn't that cool? Romans 12 goes on to say, those who lead, the leadership gift. They're the ones that can look and say, now, Eddie, she fits in this spot, and, and, and that person fits in that spot, and they put there, okay, we got everybody on the right seats, let's go down. And that's what, a, that's what a leadership person does, a governance gift. And then there's the ones that have empathy. you got to love this one. 
They're the ones when you're having a hard time and they're feeling it with you. I mean, you encounter one of these people and it's almost as if, like, if you're sick, that person says, oh, honey, and they either put your, their arm around you figuratively or literally, and all of a sudden you feel like you're healed or you're better. That's the empathy gift. None of these gifts are more important or better than other ones. How do some of these things look at look like? If you, uh, if you look in your, in your outline, there's a blank spot there that says, I think God may have gifted me to blah or blah. So let me describe a few things. So there's a guy. We had a meeting uh, uh, for some of the people just to find out uh, how we could really do the best job possible making people feel welcomed and helping to greet and seat, etc., etc., all right, already, already got excellent people on board, but how, how do we do this? And uh, we looked around there, and we invited one guy to come, and we're like, well, are you a greeter or an usher? And Dave Hall goes, I'm neither. We go, really? What do you do? I just stand uh, around the, the ministry table there, and I, I greet people. I go, hey, you know what? I bet you've had that happen, and he knows people by name. So... How did he get that job? It's because his wife was, is a teacher, so she's teaching in the children's ministry, and he, got, he didn't say, well, I could either sit and drink coffee, which is fine, or I could sit there and I could welcome people. Nobody told him to do that. That's awesome. You don't need permission to play on the team. Just do it. I think that'll preach. Nike thinks so, right? You know what happened? Some guy came in as a visitor. Someone invited their friend, which can be a scary thing to do. I'm going to invite my friend or neighbor to church. They came to church. They ran into Pastor Denny twice. They ran into, I think, Joe. And then they met Dave. And they got home. And the feedback, they said, that is the most friendly, loving church I've ever encountered in my life. How important is it for us to say, yeah, I, I, I think I could just welcome people, greet people. In the back, uh, look for the, uh, I think the Cabots are there or other people. There's going to be tables in the back there. If you want to sign up and say, yeah, yeah, I'd like to find a place where I can serve. Maybe a greeter usher serving in the cafe, you know. Great opportunities. And that, by the way, that may not be where you, you, you're not like, it's not a contract, all right? It doesn't have to be notarized or anything like that. What it is is you say, you know what, I'm going to try and do this. You might say, well, that's not it. That's not it. You know, this one, I, I feel this is great. I mean, there are people here that would never want to be waving and saying hi. But they might be want to count in the money and get it to the penny. Um, that makes me almost queasy when I think about it. Personally, that's not my gift. All right? So I wonder what your gift would be. We need to play with purpose because our mission is so vitally, vitally important. We need to remember, remember, remember one, seven times that we are on one team. We are one team with many parts. And finally, well, let me just show you an awesome team. It's more local than the Steelers. Check it out. There they are. Isn't that cool? That's a bunch of ladies that got together and they said, and, and uh, bar, uh, let's see Deb is vet, uh, advertising uh, Beth Moore. Very good, right? Uh, that's the women's ministry team, and there's a bunch of other ladies there. Uh, Jean Garrett was camera shy, uh, and there's uh, like um, um, Sarah Spink and, and uh, who else was that? Julia, uh, a bunch of others. Okay, that's not all of them. But these ladies 
met together. There's three big women's ministries in the church during the week. And we got them all together, and they just talked, and they dreamed. And they said, well, I wonder if we could do this. Well, my, my uh, sister-in-law does that. And then pretty soon, we started shaping things together, and each person was putting their ideas together. So I think probably July would be a good time for that. Okay, great. And then it just, they met, they planned, they met, they planned, they executed. And then all of a sudden went, oh man, we got 150 people signed up. Now, we move, now we're moving to the gym. Oh Lord, let it be cool. There's no air conditioning. And there's little problems. And we saw the body of Christ come together. And as I walked around that room the other night, I was blown away because there were ladies there that were saying, man, I've never talked to these people before. This was so great. All they're doing is hanging out and enjoying each other's company. What a wonderful environment where people can come in and say, what a place to belong. Isn't that exciting? That's a picture of the local body here functioning well. I come from a church that grew from 350 to 1100 in three years. It was unbelievable. And the building is 17,000 square feet. This is 84 or something like that. All right? No office for the pastor. Uh, Here's what I want you to hear. This church is by far more equipped for growth than that one. The the people here, we are filled with godly people with great potential. And we're much more resourced. I'm looking forward to what God is going to do here. I'm excited. We're already seeing him doing great things. It's something... Being part of the team is so exciting. So finally, there's one last thing that we have to keep in mind uh, because we, we just can't forget this. And that's the last one. On the last write-in is to win, we need to have a team spirit. To win, we have to have a team spirit. And this is one of the most difficult things that we need to guard in the church, a team spirit. Hear what Paul says in verses 2 and 3 in Ephesians 4. With all humility and gentleness, with, help me, is it up there? Yep. With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the, all right guys, I'm almost done, I promise you, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's the reality of it. Last write-in. Nobody likes a sore loser. Nobody likes a sore loser. But how many of you, uh, if I don't want you to raise your hand, but you've, had, you've been disappointed or, or you know, you've tried to do something, you've had your feelings hurt, and you just go, well, I don't know, in a church. Any, anybody know someone who's had that happen to them? I'm so thankful I'm here. There's only one person. Praise God. Oh, two. Okay, there we go. It's true. We can all be sore losers, but the second half of that is, well, the first half is nobody likes a sore loser. The second half is we all can be one. And so we have a choice when we're doing battle. We can sit down and say, I didn't like that. People are shooting at me. I don't like that. Either we can quit or or what most people do is they just say, yeah, I'm just going to sit in the sideline and watch how this goes. It's It's not a good thing. God has created us to be on the field. One of the greatest challenges is to work with people that are very different from us. Most people like to be around people like themselves. Have have you noticed that? You know, oh, you're my kind of person. Immaturity is only wanting to be around people that have the same job or temperament as you. You know, that's like saying, I'm a goalie. I only hang around with goalies, you know. 
Oh, I'm, I'm a runner, man. <laughs> Running back, you know, those linemen are idiots. Well, those idiots don't open the hole for you. You're dead, right? Shepherds and teachers uh, like to be around each other. One scholar has observed that in the church, in the Western church, uh, shepherds or pastors and teachers are rewarded and paid and liked. Apostles and evangelists are a little bit like, oh, those people. And I'm not sure if everybody likes prophets, right? (laughs) They're kind of like, I have something I have to tell you. We're a little bit off here, right? But we need them all. Think marketing compared to sales. Or or think think sales versus accounting and compliance. You know, the the salespeople are like, I think we should do this, and we'll make so much money selling this, that, and the other thing. So give us some money, and we'll get it going. And the accountants and compliance people say, you guys are just spending money. Just hand over fist. You need both. You need someone who's the gas pedal and someone who's the brakes to get the thing rolling in the right way. And we have to be able to admire people that are different than us. And when we get our feelings hurt or we're disappointed, well, what does he say? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Uh, Winning as a team is stressful and hard work, and there's not much comfort in the battle, but we need to pull together when we're at something really significant. Check, Check this picture out. That's uh, where our son is right now. Uh, Christopher, our 17-year-old, you've probably seen him play bass here. He wears shorts for some reason. But those little tiny tents up there is what he's camping in. And he's with a team. Some of them are artists. Some of them are one guy's, the guy you're sleeping in the tent with is a lieutenant in the fire department. And so Christopher is in Zambia, Africa. Uh, and they've identified these little huts that have never heard about Christ. And so they drove eight hours out of Livingston in in some truck getting beat in the face with branches. And then they hiked several hours and they're camping there and they're going to try and present the gospel to them. Now, how do you think that's going to be? Anybody ever, does anybody like sleep? I I mean, how about camping? How about the the, the Hilton? You know, camping in the Hilton, amen? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that in them doing this significant work for Christ, and we're so proud of him. Would you pray for him? He's Christopher. That's our son. Uh, But we're so proud of him for doing this and going out there. But here's the deal. When you're in the thick of it, and you're not getting sleep, and you're, you're going on and on, and you start to notice how different the people are and how annoying they can be because people bug us. Turn, turn to your neighbor and say, people bug us. They do. They bug us. And that's why... We have to realize as a team that each and every person is vitally important. Our opponent is not each other. It is the world, it's the flesh, and it's the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil says, it's all about you. It's about me and my comfort and my entitlement. You know, I should be getting a pedicure right now. And you're bugging me. You're stepping on my toes, in fact. The devil says, you know what, you're right. You should form your own little faction over here. You know, this little committee over here. That's what the devil says. What God says is, come together. Come together as a team with all humility. You know what we need to do when we get bugged? Humbly ask for forgiveness if, uh, if we've, if we've uh, offended others. If we've been offended, 
and someone comes to us and asks for forgiveness, we, we graciously extend them forgiveness. We say, hey, we're on the same team. We're going to grow up here, and we're going to be mature. We're going to honor God as a team. Well, remember the football story I told you at the beginning, my pathetic football team? Here's how it all ended. We won. I don't know how we did it. Somebody missed a, missed a tackle, and they ran almost all to, the, to their goal line. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're going to lose. But somehow they got them. And then time ran out, and we won, we, we won victorious. And that's why I remember this from 30 years. Here's what I want you to hear today. If Community Alliance Church continues in the direction it's going, where people are gathering together and serving with the big picture of praying like crazy, desiring God's Holy Spirit to empower us and bless as each person does their part, you're going to see God do amazing things. Your family will be affected. Your neighbors will be affected. The community will be affected. And we'll send people to the ends of the earth. And you won't be remembering that for 30 years. You'll be remembering that for thousands of years. Thousands. Looking back and saying, man, something happened in 2015, 16, 17, whatever, and I was a part of that. I don't know, probably the weakest person on the team, but at least I was on the team, and I did it with everything I had. And we saw God show up and move. And we brought healing and wholeness and hope. Do you think our community needs hope? I do. We brought hope to the community. And you will hear the king of the universe look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Check out the tables in the back to, so you can sign up to, to serve. Find your spot. We'd love for you to do that. But let me close with this last verse here. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Father God, thank you for this wonderful church. Lord, we're not naive. We know that we're humans. We know that we have personalities and some of them are strong ones like myself. And Lord, we, we understand that uh, we desperately need you. Uh, we understand that we need to continue to grow as a place of grace. But Lord, you've assembled us together and you've put your hand on this place. And so, Lord God, I'm praying that we would find our unique part and that we would be motivated to play it well. Sear it on our hearts that we're one team and each of us has a part to play. And Lord, direct us to where you want us to go keep the enemy of our soul at bay and be glorified as we do our part on a winning team. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's children said, amen.